first scripture reading to this morning is from the second chapter of the letter of Paul to the Philippians, and that's found on page 186, if you're following along, page 186 in the New Testament of your pew Bible. If, then, there is any comfort in Christ, any consolation from love, any partnership in the Spirit, any tender affection and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not on your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equally with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that the name given to Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, Work on your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at you in work, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. From the Gospel according to Hezekiah, the first chapter, And thou hast found ultimate frisbee to be thine stumbling block, and have neglected the gathering of yourselves with the fellowship of the saints because you have decided that running and tossing a plastic disc is much preferable. Therefore, upon you shall great curses be heaped. Oh, wait, sorry. We're in the, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, the 21st chapter, verse 23. Jesus enters the temple, and the chief priests and elders of the people come to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I then tell you what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? Jesus continues. A man has two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, well, the first. Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, 
the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in a way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. The gospel of the Lord. Uh, Join your hearts with me in prayer. Open our hearts to be able to receive your word. So much comes in our ears throughout the days, O Lord. So many begging for our attention and our allegiance. But only you have the words of eternal life. So to whom else should we go? To the glory of Christ. Amen. Do you remember the first time that you felt uh, cheated? ripped off, disappointed. That feeling you get when you're expecting something wonderful and intensely fascinated, something grand, something enticing, and then it happens and it turns out to be a big nothing. I think my earliest memories of disappointment had to do with toys The kids on the box were always having so much fun. They were having a great time. They were laughing or intensely fascinated or fist-pumping in ecstasy, all unbridled delight, reaction to playing with what is inside of that box. Slot cars were a big deal when I was little. Remember slot cars? Little electric models that made contact with the electrodes on the two metallic stripes that went on either side of the slot where the little plastic part of the car slid into. I got a slot car track and I was really excited because the kids on the box were like out of control. You had that little plastic bit where you had to put the connectors into the tracks and then put the tracks into an oval. Oh, how much I wanted a figure eight. But that's okay. Hours of pressing together the connections and then attaching the transformer to the one power track with the little screws and plugging it in, and then you'd hit the button, ha-ha, <laughs> around the oval. And then the picture on the box, the hyperventilation, the risk given to how excited we were going to be in that very moment, zoom, they're off, and the winner is the purple car. And you'd set it up again. And they're off. And the winner is the purple car. Again and again, it turns out every slot car set had one car that was slightly faster for whatever reason. And that car always came in first place. Nothing changed. Now, you could use that little screwdriver and change the purple car body with the orange car body and then tell your brother to come and he'd pick the purple car, but you'd already tricked it, so the orange car was now the fast one. But you could only do that once or twice because your brother's smarter than you are. And in the end, slot cars turned out to be about as exciting as a coin toss with a weighted coin that heads always comes up no matter what you do. What amazed me was how I never felt the same buzz that was evidenced by the kids on the box. Even more disturbing 
was that I didn't think the problem that slot, that slot cars were boring. That, that didn't enter my head. I thought my problem was I didn't have enough track. If I could get the figure eight and then the little swirl that went up to the upper level, then slot cars would be exciting and I could be as thrilled as the kids in the picture on the box. I just needed my parents to spend more money so that I could finally be happy. Of course, it wasn't just boys who experienced this, although girls, I'm sure, played with slot cars. My sister wanted an easy-bake oven. She really wanted an easy-bake oven. That was until a friend of hers got one. Turns out that if you bake a cake under a 100-watt incandescent light bulb, it's not particularly good. I sometimes wonder, as we're switching from incandescent to LEDs, uh, how are you going to cook cake in an easy-bake oven? I worry about these things. That fact concerns my wife. At the ripe old age of nine, I decided that if a toy needed pictures of happy kids in order to sell it, stay away. The happier the picture, the more likely the toy is boring. Only buy toys with the picture of the toy on the box. What you see is what you get. Puzzles. Puzzles never have pictures of happy people on them. You notice that? Seniors and children fist-pumping at their joy at the sight of an assembled puzzle. No. A puzzle box has on the picture a picture of the puzzle. What you see is what you get. And no one ever expects that if the picture is dogs playing poker, when you put it together, you're going to end up with a Monet. Except when my brother would swap all the pictures on the tops of the puzzle boxes with other puzzles, or grab a handful of pieces from one puzzle and throw them into another box. He was always fun at my grandmother's retirement center. Those were fighting words, trust me. There's a principle here that people were learning in Jesus' day. The more that you need promotional hoopla, the more you need banners and regalia and horns and cheers and protocol and happy children pumping their fists, the more likely your religion is going to be a big disappointment. The chief priests and the elders were the poster children for disappointing religion. They had all the pomp, they had the robes, they had the headgear, the horns, they would blow it, the banners would unfurl, but in the end, the purple car always won. Chief priests, elders, Pharisees, they always got first place. Didn't matter what order or how long the track, the winners were always the same. Oh, and by the way, the losers were also always the same. Then along comes John the Baptist. Uh, no outrageously happy kids on his toy box. He looked a lot like a homeless guy living in the wilderness. Probably because he was a homeless guy living in the wilderness. John suggested that what mattered was what you found on the, on the inside. Not the hyped up container but the interior attitude. He even had the audacity to say that the righteous ones 
did not necessarily do the righteous things. Works worthy of righteousness, howled John the Baptist. And if it came down to honesty and compassion and kindness and love, everybody was capable of righteous living. That bothered the purple car people. They were used to winning. Before the race even began, they were already declaring their victory. And John said, not so fast. On the real track of life, it's not how you look. But what matters is how you perform from the inside out. That bothered the toy makers so much that King Herod in one of the prettiest boxes had the happiest children and the most flashy lettering and the blaring trumpets and the bright lights and the big promises and the arenas full of cheering people. He had big promises. And when he was confronted by the message of John the Baptist that it was possible that others without all the hoopla could be even more righteous than he, Herod had him snuffed out. So when Jesus comes and proclaims a similar message to John's, that ordinary people were capable of righteous living, that the picture on the outside does not determine the quality on the inside, Jesus troubled them too. What if people decided in the end that what they were selling was fundamentally unsatisfying, boring? Or worse yet, what if they figured out that the game was rigged? That was the question of authority that comes to us in the 21st chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Who made your game, Jesus? Mattel? Ideal Toys? Parker Brothers? Kenner? Tyco? One of the big names? We can't trust you because we don't understand your marketing department, they said. Jesus turns the question on its head. Who was the one behind John the Baptist? By whose authority did he teach and do what he did? People loved John the Baptist. They went out by the hundreds to hear his message. It spoke to their hearts. It inspired them. It changed them. But as far as the chief priests and the elders were concerned, he was not their kind of people. So they said if he was the real deal, he wouldn't look so humble. He'd spend a little bit more money on advertising. He'd dress a little better. He'd live in a nicer house. He'd spend some time thinking about the swag and the marketing. How could somebody with so little bring so much? So Jesus tells the shortest parable in his ministry. It's a very short parable. In fact, I had a New Testament professor say that it's maybe even just a rough draft. It's a story of two sons. Dad says to the first, go work in my vineyard. He says, nah, I'm not going to. But later on he thinks, yeah, I probably should. Second one, he says, go work in the vineyard. And he says, oh, yes, I'm, I'm on it, Dad. You betcha. Vineyard today. See, I have on my vineyard shoes. Off I'm going. And he ended up going off instead to play ultimate frisbee. Which one pleased the Father? It's not what's on the box. It's what's in the box that matters. Is the game worth playing? 
Does it bring joy? Does it bring people together? Is it engaging? Does it create an experience that brings people back in an authentic way? Or does it require only the endless purchase of accessories, each promising but never delivering satisfaction? Authenticity is not about the picture on the box. It's about the quality of the play that happens once the box is opened. That's why the Apostle Paul tells the congregation in Philippi to do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit. Empty conceit. Are we looking good or are we playing well? We like the game Mousetrap. Do you remember Mousetrap? Mousetrap was a whole bunch of pieces that you put together like a Rube Goldberg cartoon. You know, the hand would slap the ball and it would go around the spin and then the flip over would come over and you'd get it all lined up. And then at the very end, the basket would come down the spiral and land on the mouse and everybody would say, Mousetrap. It never worked. In fact, there was theoretically a game that went with Mousetrap that involved dice and cards and spinners. And I have no, no one ever played the game. You just spent hours trying to make the Mousetrap work. And it never did. But wow, the kids on the box, they were having fun. I'm afraid that we live in a world of picture on the box religion. People who portray meaning, value, and fun, and purpose. But when you sit down with them to actually play together, you find out it's all fluff, fundamentally unsatisfying, boring, or more often than not, rigged. They already know which one's the purple car, and they've chosen it and you're going to lose. Paul said, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit. Don't be like slot cars or easy bake ovens or mousetrap or rock'em sock'em robots. I could go on. Those never really worked right either. Be like a puzzle. A puzzle. With a picture on the outside matches the project on the inside so that when people see you they know who you are when you invite them to play. Amen? Please stand and join with me in our affirmation of faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son.